turn this on. All right. Um, we are going to send around volunteer sign-up sheets for, you're not in a group yet. There's a um, service component to the groups uh, for small group participation. There's a number of spots here that people can sign up for. There's meal prep uh, on Sunday mornings, meal cleanup, Sundays after lunch, child care, cleaning, uh, child care during your Bible study, which is when? Wednesdays next week, 10 a.m. And then greeters and ushers. So if that's new information to you, check with your group leaders. Uh, but I am going to send this around, and you can put your names on it, and I'll pick it up uh, at the end. Um, okay, everybody should sign up for something tonight. Check your schedules if you can, and we'll go from there. Uh, cleaning, we need help, especially cleaning the church. There's opportunities on Thursdays uh, before Immerse, or Thursdays before SLM, uh, Saturdays before Immerse. And Jeremy is here Monday nights working, and so the church will be open for that too. So send that around. If you're on a worship team, or you're doing childcare already, you don't need to do that because you're already doing something. All right. And I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you really well. Uh, my name's Paul. Uh, I... What's that? Oh. Um, so a little bit about who I am, I guess. I'm... Technically, I'm a deacon here. Um, if you didn't know, there's three deacons um, here at the church. Um, one of them, and essentially what we do is we make financial decisions, and uh, we're kind of in charge of the work that gets done um, here at the church. Uh, I've done some SLM groups before. Um, I travel a lot for work, so this year I'm not leading a group. So none of you will be in a group that I have, but um, we'll be teaching once a month uh, along with Ryan and Charlie. Um, so what else do you need to know? Married, got a baby. Went to NMU, graduated from NMU, stayed. Uh, I work for NMU. That's why I travel a lot for work. Um, yeah. All right. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight, tonight's topic is um, life by the Spirit. And a little bit of background before that. Um, kind of last year, Charlie and I started talking about, you know, doing some Bible teaching and how that could fit into SLM. And it kind of morphed into uh, Ryan and I doing once, uh, once, twice a month here as part of SLM and doing some very foundational teaching. For you guys, it's if you're new to SLM or... Um, you are interested in more foundational teaching. And that's kind of what I, I guess, am, am into more than anything is foundational biblical truth. So what does the Bible say about certain things? What does it really, really say instead of what do we just think that it says? Um, and that's, that's kind of what I, what I go after a lot and what I will be teaching on, and I'm doing once a month. Um, so what does the Bible really say? Some very foundational things, things that we can kind of build upon. Um, so my role is going to be taking some of these SLM topics and talk about them at a, a kind of a very base level, foundational messages that you can take, build on those, and run with in your own walk. Um, tonight what I want to do is kind of want to unpack what you currently believe about Spirit. So tonight's topic is life in the Spirit. So we're going to start very foundationally. What do you right now think that the Spirit is? What is its role in your life? What role does it play or what role should it play in your life? Um, 
So actually what I want you to do, do you guys have a pen and paper with you? Take just a minute and write down what you think the role of the Spirit is currently in your life, or what should it be? What is the role of the Spirit? How do you define it? And maybe also, why do you think that that's important? So what is the purpose of the Spirit in your life? What do you think the role of it is? And then also, how, how did you come up with that definition? Where did you get your information from? How do you know what you know? That question might be a little bit harder to come up with an answer for. But I'm not going to make you say them out loud. This is really just for, for your information. So we need to unpack why you believe what you believe. And that's never a bad thing to do. Anything in, in, in faith and in Christianity, you really you need to ask yourself some very difficult questions at times. Why do I believe what I believe? Sometimes the answer is, well, I just know because I, I do. This is what I know, and, and, and it's something very realized, very, um, very real in my heart, and it's just sometimes it, that's the way it's always been is not a good answer. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But the Spirit, just so you guys know, it, this is a very, very broad topic, and there are many roles of the Spirit. We're going to talk about really just a very foundational part of how I want you to start thinking about the role of the Spirit in your life. And, and a lot of us, we're all in different places. Um, some, some here have been believers for a long time, others not so long, and that's, that's fine. Um, if you've been a believer for I don't know, X number of years, I won't put a number on it. Um, it's still good to ask the question. 50? Do you win the award? Do you win the award for the longest amount of time? Oh, Char, Char's got you 52. All right. Um, so we want to unpack this. Um, When a, lot of, when a lot of people think about what the role of the Spirit is, it's this very external kind of a thing. So the Spirit exists, in, in, especially in churches that are more modern, evangelical, what we call Spirit-filled churches, you see some very external manifestations of, 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 of the Spirit. Um, unlike what I saw growing up, which was in the Catholic Church, um, that, was, that was my upbringing, there was very little, if any, um, manifestations of the Spirit in, in a service or in a Mass. And I didn't, I didn't come to a Spirit-filled church until I was in college. And so, as you might imagine, I had 18 years of very reverent, very... Um, very organized, very controlled um, uh, services and then came into an environment that was, you know, not 
not that way. And so that was the big adjustment for me. And so my first interaction with that really was it was very external. It was very visible, uh, very vocal at times. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people in the modern church, a lot of people in evangelical settings, it, the Spirit exists to do those kinds of things. It's works of power. Um, you know, sometimes that's associated with a feeling. You know, have a very, you have a physical feeling. Um, you'll see people crying sometimes for no reason. You'll see people laughing sometimes. Uh, words of knowledge, healing, uh, speaking in tongues, um, other outward expressions that look kind of funny, uh, people falling down, yelling. In, in general, for me, making up the church service very uncomfortable. In, in, in some churches, it can be very interesting. Um, so these are all spiritual experiences, but think about this. Um, if you consider yourself spiritual because you do these things, um, how is that different than someone who's not a believer and considers themselves spiritual as well? And their spiritual knowledge is based on something otherness. I just made that word up. But it's, it's, it's something, there's something out there, there's some kind of power, there's some kind of something that I can realize, that I can see, that I can feel. I can't explain it, I can't define it, but it's there. So they say, I'm a spiritual person because there's something. Well, how is that any different than a person in a church in a spirit-filled setting? that's experiencing something very external, very realized, but they also don't really know what the purpose of that is. How is that any different other than one believes in God and maybe the other one doesn't or is unsure? That's the difference. That's why we have to talk about what is the role of it really in your life? What is the purpose of the Spirit and how do we build on that? So, question or statement for you. If the spirit to you exists only to be an action or a manifestation of something, um, some kind of action external, does it really make any different than a non-Christian or spiritual person? These are all external things. These are all actions, um, and that's something to think about. Um, what I do think we need to be looking at first, because um, there are a lot of parts of the spirit, uh, we want to do this in the right order. It's like training for a race, and I'm in spare time, I'm an athlete. I train for bike races and ski races and used to run a lot. Back in the day, I don't do that so much anymore. But um, you have to start at the right spot. Because if you don't, you can run real hard for actually a real long amount of time and actually do fairly well. But at some point, you're going to get hurt or injured or burned out or whatever. You're not going to be at your maximum effectiveness if you just start right out of the gate, too much, too fast, not doing things correctly, improper training, it doesn't work. It only works for a little bit. This is the same kind of thing. We want to look at things in the right order. So here's what I think we need to be looking at. Um, if we're going to talk about the Spirit, um, let's go back a little bit. We're going to look at the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, go to Galatians. This is our example for tonight. This is going to be our focus. And I want to focus on one passage of it specifically, or a couple of verses anyway, in Galatians 5. Sixteen through twenty-six, if you're taking notes. Yep, Galatians five, sixteen through twenty-six. And we'll read it. And this says, and this is Paul talking, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, 
fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So this is where we're going to start. This is where I really kind of think that a good base definition and role of the Spirit in someone's life takes shape. It's not based on physical manifestations. It's not based on actions. It's not based on things happening necessarily, outward visible things. He says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So where we need to start, if we're going to talk about the Spirit, we need to talk about it in the context of how it exists to be in total opposition to the law. The Spirit is in total opposition to the law. And by the law, I mean Old Testament law. Old Testament Jewish law. List of things that we need to do in order to be righteous before God. So the Spirit is in direct opposition to that. Because if it's not, really, what you're doing is you're robbing the Spirit of all power and you're watering it down into fluff, warm fuzzies, feelings, very experiential kind of things. You've watered it down. We can't get caught up in feelings. So not to say that the feelings are bad when you're in a service or you're, you're with others or you're having an experience with God, with the Spirit. I'm not saying feeling those things or having those things happen is bad. It's not. It's part of it, but it's not the focus. That is not the purpose. The purpose is not to get some feeling, not to get some warm fuzzy, not to, not to have some sort of outward expression. Sometimes that, that is called for, but that is not the purpose we don't want to water it down and don't want to dumb it down. And depending on how much familiarity you have with modern Christianity, I think if you look around a little bit, it won't take you long to realize that there are a whole lot of Christians running around that are really caught up in the physical manifestations. And I can't judge and I can't say that that's only what they're chasing, but there's a lot of people that are, you know, chasing conferences. They're, they're chasing worship uh, concerts. And it's all about the spirit, all about the manifestations, all about the feelings. And that's not, it's not the point. Again, it's not bad, but that's not the point. Um, You want to have that right foundation first and understand the true purpose of the Spirit or you're out of line with it. You're not starting your training at the right spot. You haven't built that foundation. Uh, if you want more biblical references, there's 8,000 of them. It's called the New Testament. That was Jesus' message was freedom from sin but spirit and truth, okay? Um, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. That's John 4, 23, 24. And that was Jesus talking. So both have a place, but it's spirit and truth together. 
Okay, the warm fuzzies of the spiritual stuff is not the be-all, end-all of everything. True worshipers are going to worship in spirit and truth. But there's also some interesting context around um, when Jesus said that too. That was, um, that was with the Samaritan woman at the well. So if you have some, some time, go back and check out the context of how that came up um, uh, with Jesus. Okay, so book of Galatians. Um, how does this all tie in and why does this really matter? Well, um, this is Paul's response to the church in Galatia. Okay, book of Galatians. Um, he, had, he had started some ministry there. He planted a church. Things were going well. Then he leaves. He goes off doing other ministry, and then he gets reports that the church that, that they planted is moving back towards a form of, of legalism. Um, there were some people that were going in there and preaching a different gospel than what he had preached. They were preaching a gospel that was based on, it was physical, actual circumcision. So um, very back-to-the-law kind of actions. So you're justified with God by, by doing X, Y, Z, and this whole other book of things that really heavy burdens, so many things that you really, it, it, was, it was nearly impossible to stay up on top of. Okay, it's the Old Testament law. Um, they were returning to this gospel. He has some very, very strong words for them. Um, where is it? He makes a comment about the, the whole circumcision issue because apparently this was, this was a bit of an issue as well. And he says, you know, for these people that are preaching this thing, I, w- I kind of wish that these, these men would just go the whole way and just emasculate themselves. Um, he was that ticked off. 5.12, thank you. Um, yep. Starting at seven, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The only one who is throwing you into confusion, or the one who is throwing you into confusion, will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So he's very concerned, obviously, that these people are coming in and preaching a different gospel. And at the beginning of Galatians, um, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So he's making very, very strong statements about the fact that you do not want to turn back to the old law that is based on action, that is based on this set of rules that you need to follow to be justified and free of sin, free of guilt before, before God. And so this sin issue, apparently for them, if you imagine, what would, what would be the cause to have a, a group, a church, that so quickly accepted the gospel that's based on faith and grace in, in Jesus, turn back so quickly to something that's based on works. Apparently, there, there had to have been some major sin issues going on or just things of human nature that says, you know, this, this faith thing is great, but 
either by tradition or whatever, we've, we've got these things, and, and I, I'm now turning back, and I'm believing. And Paul's confused, rightly as he, as he should be. Why would you do this? Why would you take on something that has so much weight, so much of a yoke, when you've been given something that releases that pressure, releases that burden? Why would you change so quickly? That's not so hard to believe, though. If you think about even today, um, people who are caught in addictions, people who are caught in all kinds of different things that experience a little bit of freedom and then they throw themselves back into the thing that bound them. You know, so quickly. That's why addictions are tough. You know, there's, this, there's this pull, there's this draw of whatever it is so quickly it makes you turn, and he's, and he's confused by this. So I get, the, I get the idea that there's some major sin issues going on. or um, in, in this area, in history, this was an area that was kind of ruled by paganism. Um, it, there, there were probably some interesting uh, ceremonies and things that were part of a, of a culture there, and, and there could have been some weightiness from that, but... It doesn't really say. Um, so they're turning away from this gospel of, of grace that he's preached um, and turning back to a form of legalism. And, and later on, uh, in another month, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, kind of disciplined life. And is, you know, legalism is a, is a term that we say, oh, that's a negative term, but Where's the line between legalism and having a structure and having uh, some things built into your life that can still be helpful? You know, so where does that breakdown happen? Uh, I think people struggle with that a lot. You know, where, where am I being too strict? Um, and and where, where are the lines blurring? Um, but this group, they're turning back to a legalism. So Paul says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So he's saying, you can't actually work your way out of sin habits. So think about that for your own life. And I'm pretty confident in that too. You can't work your way out of a sin habit. It only works for so long. You only have so much self-control. Um, there are people that have been successful with it, but usually there's some other things going on. It's, I would suggest that you cannot actually work your way out of a sin habit. It's more than just hard work. And if you've ever struggled with any sort of a chronic sin, any sort of a of an addiction, any sort of thing like that, you'll know. It's very, 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 very hard to work your way out of it. The Spirit, using Galatians 5.16, the Spirit allows us to be free of the power of sin in our lives and not gratify sinful nature. And he goes and he talks about some of these things that they were dealing with or these common things that either he, that he preached about in the areas that he was in. And, and it's interesting with Paul in the, in the New Testament, he has some very consistent themes that he kind of hits groups with over and over and over again. It's different to each church, but there are some very similar common themes. And so those are sort of his talking points, I would assume, uh, when he goes into an area. But and these are some of them, the acts of the sinful nature. He says they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, so he, he makes mention that he's told them this before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The opposite of those things are the fruits of the Spirit, and we've heard about those before. 
the fruits of the Spirit. So if you have the Spirit in your life, what is the fruit that's coming out of your life? Or this is a litmus test against that. If you feel that you do have the Spirit, you know, what's coming out? The fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And there are entire sermons that can be preached on the gifts of the Spirit, obviously, and we've, we've heard some of those. Um, that's, not, that's not the goal of tonight. So again, I'm going to suggest that you actually can't work your way out of sin habits. You need the Spirit in your life to do something within your heart to make a change. That is the role of the Spirit. And sometimes these other physical manifestations are going to happen. Um, you, can, you can debate back and forth about how legit some physical manifestations of people are. We're not going to get into that, but I've seen it both ways. Um, some people that I trust um, have had some of those experiences and have described them to me, and I completely believe what they're saying. And they say after that experience, something was different. Something's changed. The world looks different. They, they feel different. Of course, you can't always trust feelings, but they feel different. There's a different countenance about them. There, something inside, deep inside, has happened, has changed. They've been saved, they've been healed, they've been delivered of one thing or multiple things or, or, or whatever. Um, but you need that spirit, and it doesn't have to be something dramatic, but there does need to be a change in your heart in order for you to turn away from that sin habit. And this is what Paul is saying. Um, Paul, additionally in Galatians, goes back. Again, uh, I'm pretty biblical in nature, and I, I read this stuff for fun. Uh, he goes into a really well-developed argument. He goes way back farther than what he has to in order to build this whole argument with the, Galatia, the church in Galatia again. He goes all the way back to Abraham as the father of the faith and righteousness earned by faith. He goes all the way back to explaining righteousness again to them in that manner. And then goes into his own ministry and how he was saved. And then again, some of the consistency about Paul's ministry um, in talking about the sonship of God he hits that number of times throughout different letters to different churches. He goes back into this again. And that's, that's in uh, 326. You're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, have closed yourselves with Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the, the promise of of justification before God through Jesus Christ, through faith, faith only, the faith message, not by works, not by the law, by faith. That is how you are justified. And he ties that in with, with, with living in the Spirit, being in step with the Spirit, because as a son, having sonship, you're an heir. He also goes into freedom as well. Um, freedom in Christ, freedom through sin before he actually gets into talking about life by the Spirit. And then even before that, he goes into the law, uh, the law and the promise and making, or taking examples from, um, from Old Testament Scripture, which to them at that time was just Scripture. And the purpose of the law, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law really was just to define what sin was in the end. We, we don't know what sin was unless someone told, tells us. You know, something's not wrong until someone says it's wrong, which is kind of interesting. Think about it like a speed limit. So there's no speed limit signs. 
You'd be going 80 miles an hour down a residential street, and you don't know what's wrong. Because there's no sign there that says 25 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour, whatever. And if there's, there's nothing enforcing that, then, then, it's, then it's not wrong. But as soon as there's a law, the law creates this, this sin or the wrongdoing. So he goes into some of those things in detail, not obviously using the speed limit example. But this is what he's getting at. He's saying, the law is not going to justify you or set you free. Why are you shackling yourselves again? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So this, this brings up a few questions for yourself to think about. Um, the way I look at it is, is really the Spirit. The Spirit has its own little built-in alarm for us. Um, and actually, James says that. I'm going to go to James now. So I've got to find it. James 4, 5. It says, Do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? Or another way to say it is that God jealously longs for the Spirit that He made to live in us. It's the Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. That's one of the that's one of the uh, the characteristics of the Spirit is that it envies intensely. This, God envies that Spirit within us. He desires that the Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. The Spirit has the connection with the Father, and that's that's our that's our built-in alarm. Is, is it there in our lives? Do we have this, this desire for God? Is the Spirit there? Is it drawing us towards Him? Uh, it's mentioned again in Romans 8, 12-17. Again, very consistent message from Paul. Let's go there. Romans 8, 12 through 17. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. But if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings or that we may also share in his glory. So that's it's kind of a built-in characteristic of the Spirit. It has this connection, it has this draw, it has this, this draw back towards God. And you can, you can assess whether that's there, you know, in your life. So, and really that's kind of the totality of this message. And in, in, in the book of Galatians, we'll, we'll start from beginning to end. You can read through that. Um, it's, it's, it's a very well written argument to this group of people. But spend some time thinking and praying through what do I think the role of the Spirit is in my life? Or what has it been so far? Or what should it be? What can it be? What do I feel like 
Or what do I know that God is asking in terms of this, the role of the Spirit in my life? You really want to spend time on this. Because if we expect to have any any victory over chronic sin in our life. We really have to be in a place where the Spirit can do the work inside of us instead of us relying on ourselves, on things, on, on a list of, of, of things that I should do or can do or boundaries that I can put around myself to keep me in check. You have to have that inner, the inner working of the Spirit inside your life. And that really is walking in step with the Spirit. Those gut checks, those, um, those sanctifying moments every day with God where you have to, it, it, it's picking up, it's bearing your cross daily asking yourself difficult questions, allowing God to, to bring up these things, make the difficult decisions, and just allow him to do the work in your heart. That's the whole message of this. If all you're getting is is, is worship service experiences, that's not enough. And if you settle for that, that's all you're ever going to get. And then you'll get complacent. You're going to get bored. Because eventually the feelings are going to just not be fun anymore. It has to go deeper than that. You have to ask yourself the question, am I satisfied with that? Am I desiring the deeper things of God? Am I desiring his spirit working actively in my life? Even if it means I have to do some really funny looking things sometimes or get outside my comfort zone and go talk to somebody or do something that, that, um, that, I, that you feel like God is asking you to do. And if there are things in your life, maybe, maybe this is what God brings up with you, is, hey, remember that time I asked you to do this, and you didn't. You want to go back and do that thing, or multiple things, because really, you're probably not going to progress much until you do, because you're blocking out his spirit from working in your life. You've... You've said, nope, I'm not going to go any farther than this. This is all I'm comfortable doing. And so, okay. He said, that's as far as you're going to go. You're not going to get any more than this. You're not going to progress. For me, years ago when I asked some of myself these same questions, I had a couple of these things that came up. I had to go back. I had to take care of them. And it was at that point, really, that I experienced some new freedom. I experienced some new excitement, some new revelations from God, um, a new working of his spirit in my life. And I was able to go past in my understanding and my love for the Lord. That was probably the, the biggest thing. My, my ability to love the Lord increased which also means you have a better ability to love other people because really we're only giving out what we receive. So if he's bringing up some of these things or if he does in your time alone with him because you all have this commitment as part of SLM, part of the reason it's there, you have a commitment to spending a, number, a certain amount of time with God per day in, in prayer and in the word. And if you're, if you're lacking in that responsibility, um, you, you're, not, you're really not going to progress 
through this like, like you should be. Um, daily time in prayer, daily time in the Word. It's really important for so many reasons. Um, I guess I can say I have an adult life now. I'm 30, so I guess that makes me an adult. And, and knowing other 30-somethings and older-somethings and people with adult lives, um, there is a major, major, major difference in the lives of people that have that daily interaction with God. It doesn't have to look the same for everybody. You don't have to feel bad because the way that you spend time with God looks different than other people's. That's not what this is about. It is about how he asks you to spend time with him. But in prayer and in the word, you've got to know the word. You've got to have this foundation. You've got to know what the Bible says and what it doesn't say, especially today. Because everybody's looking for a reason to hate on Christians. And everybody's looking for a reason for a fight. Everybody's looking for a reason to argue and say, ha, you're wrong, I proved you wrong. You have to know what the Bible says. What it really says, not what you think it says about things, but what it really says. But the people that have this built into their life and they're walking in step with the Spirit, you know, if you're doing these things, this is what it develops in you. You're able to stay in step with the Spirit. The benefits are going to pay off. Marriages that stay together. for lack of, of, of better ways of saying it, making good decisions, really. Um, staying excited about the Lord, being able to receive and give his love, not burning out, not being complacent. Uh, joy, joy in your life. There's a lot of unhappy people walking around, a lot of unhappy Christians walking around. I don't believe it actually says in the Bible that you, because you're a Christian, you have to be the happiest person in the room. But there should be a level of joy in your life because you understand what you've been given. Well, what better way to have joy in your life than, than sitting down and remembering every day and really feeling and knowing and allowing the Spirit to illuminate that in your body and in your mind and say, this is a, this is a wonderful gift. If you haven't done that in a while, I really recommend you, you do that. But when I talk to friends, I talk to, to people that are going through issues in life, you know, Christians, and some, some things are happening where life is spinning out of control and there's been bad decisions, um, the big difference is, is that the first thing to go when you ask them, so how's your, how's your daily time with, with God? How is your, what is your relationship with God like right now? Or what's it been like? And that's usually how I'll ask it. Ten times out of ten was the first thing to go. Now well, I haven't been, you know, haven't really been active and, in, uh, in prayer, I haven't, I haven't been to church in a while, or maybe they have been to church, and, and that's about all they're doing. They're just sitting, sitting in a chair like a bump on a log and really not getting anything out of it. It's the first thing to go. It's really hard to make bad decisions. <laughs> and then that same day or the next day, sit down with God and not be confronted with that, or at least in a little while, because there are decisions we make at times where we look back and like, man, that was stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. But eventually at some point that comes to the surface. And you have to confront that, and God will bring those things to you if you allow him. So daily time. So as part of your requirements here, that's built in. What is it at now? 
an hour a day, right? An hour a day. This is something you guys are supposed to know. <laughs> okay. There's that requirement in there, an hour a day in word or in prayer. It's crucial. If you haven't been doing it, you can start with Galatians. And look at Paul's argument for this. And, and, and ask the questions of yourself. Spend some time with the Lord talking about, so, God, what is, what is the current role of the Spirit in my life? What are we doing? And if the answer is not much, okay, it's a good time to, to start and say, okay, what do I think it is? What do I think the role is? Why do I have those thoughts about it? Okay, God, I don't have that. Let's get that. And then he'll take it from there. He'll give you, he'll give you instructions. He'll, he'll develop how he wants to spend that time with you. And when he asks you to do something, do it. And he may ask you to go back and do some things that he asked you to do a while ago and you never did. Um, it's important to go back and take care of those things. So if you need to start somewhere, start with Galatians. It's a good read. I promise. And that's really all I have, and that's right at 7 o'clock. So I'm within my time limit. We're still good. I'm going to shut the mic off. <laughs>